and we are live. Hello, everybody. Welcome back with my co-host, Sean Francis. I am Brian Altunian on Just Two Dads. Today's conversations with Dr. L. Brown, we are going to have an amazing conversation about education and, uh, and a program that she has created that is going to blow you away. So today on Just Two Dads, it's going to be a fun conversation. I always get I always get excited about that little intro music. You know, I feel feel like I want to dance. I don't know. Maybe it's free coffee day today, by the way. So maybe that's has something to do with it. I saw that. Um, maybe I had a little bit too much coffee. Uh, I just want to welcome everybody uh, who's joining us live on on Facebook. Welcome. Please put your comments in in, and we'll hopefully we'll address them if uh, if we if we can. And if you're not catching us live, but catching us on our YouTube channel, we want to thank you, welcome you, and um, ask you to subscribe share this information with your friends and, and family, anybody who you know that's dealing with a family member with, with special needs. All the work that we do here is to help highlight those amazing warriors that are doing uh, making a huge contribution to our families with special needs and to our special needs community as a whole. Uh, if you're catching us on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or iHeartRadio, Spotify, anywhere else that uh, podcasts are heard, welcome. Uh, we appreciate you joining us for this time. And, uh, and finally, WSTX AM radio down in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Welcome, everybody, to uh, another episode of Just Two Dads. I think this is episode number 50, 58. We're definitely into our second year. 58. Yes. 58. It has been an amazing journey. Uh, we just came off a two-day summit where we, uh, we got to share, have some of our guests share their experiences and their um, their programs and make the work that they do known that those videos are going to be available up on our YouTube channel here for all to see as well um, for a period of time. Those that attended getting an exclusive shot at um, at getting access to that information. But it was so uh, it was so amazing and it, and it just reaffirmed for Sean and I the work that we started out doing casually as just two dads having a mm -hmm. conversation has really started to have an impact on the community. And we are so proud of the of the work that we're doing and the contributions that that the folks that we're communicating with are making to the world. So um, as always, grateful to be here. And uh, as we welcome our, our, our guests, I'll say a quick hello to Sean. And then Sean, you can you can introduce Dr. Brown and then jump into jump into the conversation. How are you doing, Sean? How are you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. Thankful, blessed, and um, um, just ready to get right to it. Uh, we Good. are, you know, thankful to have this platform to be able to share with people uh, what we do and uh, shine the light on people that are uh, warriors for the special needs community. And today is no exception. Our guest today is none other than Dr. L. Brown. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here to engage in this conversation with two members of my tribe, two new <laughs> members of my tribe. There you go. That is exactly what it is all about. Well, you, because you're um, someone that's, you know, as a parent, you know, you just do what you do. You follow your path and, you know, answer your calling. You may not see it as such, but we like to say that those of us that uh, answer that calling are in some way, shape or form uh, a hero and all heroes have in origin, powers come from someplace. So let's begin by you sharing with us a little bit about who you are, um, where you were born, how you were raised, where you were raised, and the things that um, that made you the person that you uh, were when becoming a parent to a child with special needs. Okay, well, um, 
I was born in a small town that isn't that small anymore. I'm from Ocala, Florida. Um, mm -hmm. There I was born to a teenage mother. And um, throughout childhood, I moved quite a bit through kinship care, moving from family member to family member. So by Very the time, familiar. Yeah. So by mm -hmm. the time college came around, um, luckily I was on a certain track in school for talented and gifted. So it was a protective factor for me to keep me in certain classes and to keep me out of certain situations so that when time came to go to college, I had the necessary prerequisites. And I actually didn't go off to college until a year after graduation because I was like, you know what, I'm book smart. I want to get out of this town. I think college will give me a place to stay and then mm -hmm. a job later. So I initially wanted to be a lawyer. I was going to go into political mm. science. However, when I arrived at the university, I assumed everyone would look just like me. They would come to 1978 Fort Fairmont. It was 1994. <laughs> they would have their clothes packed in banana boxes because I worked at a public <laughs> grocery store like me. But I was very surprised when I got there and I saw minivans and pink balances and pink bedspreads. And all of these moms were there mm -hmm. helping their children move in. Well, mm. I was 18 years old and I was there by myself. This is at Florida a University. And some of the mothers took an interest in me. Now, I didn't see anything odd about my being there by myself because the way in which I had grown up, I had been independent for quite some time. So mm -hmm. these mothers took an interest in me and they would invite me to go to lunch and dinner with them. And I would watch them engage with their daughters and they would ask questions like, so what was the high point of your day? And it, it was like the real life you know, TV show. And right. I was so entranced by this that I... They all had something in common. They were all teachers. And I was like, you know what? I want to be a good mother. So I'm going to be a teacher because in my 18 year old brain, I thought that education or being a teacher was the threshold to being a good mother because I'd never seen the active mothering that I saw that week during my freshman orientation. So from there, I became a teacher and I, um, taught in Atlanta, Georgia, and I went overseas and I taught in Yokosuka, Japan, as well as Seoul, South Korea. Then wow. I married and I left the profession to become a stay-at-home wife. And later, um, through a difficult pregnancy, um, I was gifted with my son, Ricky, too. And that was my ride to motherhood. So one, I, I wanted to be a mother since 18. Two, um, Pregnancies did not come easy for me. Um, so when Ricky Two came, I was quite grateful that I had the opportunity to be a mother. Um, mm -hmm. With that, I had subsequent difficulties in pregnancies. And um, it just so happened that my ex-husband was deployed to Iraq. And when he left, I didn't realize that there was no language in the house. So mm -hmm. I had been like active mom, doing everything, but I, we had this intuitive language that we had done for our son. Like, oh, he likes that. Yes, he does. Oh, isn't he great at this? Oh, yes, he is. And when you took the variable of the other adult out of the home, I then realized if I wasn't talking, there was no talk. So from there, I then took my son to his pediatrician. And from a mom lens, I was like, something's going on with my child. I need your yeah. help. You know, yeah. um, this is what I'm seeing. And he gave my 
child of physical, you know, healthy eyes, ears, heart, nose, mouth. And he said, good job, mom. And he gave me a sticker. <laughs> wow. So I get into the car and I'm having so many emotions go through because I'm I felt marginalized because, you know, yeah. I, was like, I know what I, I'm talking about. He basically was saying there's nothing wrong with your child. And, and You're exactly. Just being like, over, there's nothing yeah. going on. You're yeah. you, good job, mom. Yeah. Children yeah. mature at different rates. Um, and I thought to myself, if I were in the classroom and this were my student, what would I do? And I was like, I would teach, evaluate, assess, refer. In schools, we work with data. Everything's about data. Like, what do you see? Did you record it? You know, what does the data tell you? So I went home and although I didn't have that infrastructure in my house, I created it. So I created like a mini classroom so that I could co collect data points on my son's development. Um, and I took huh. those data points back to the pediatrician. I'm like, this is what I'm seeing. Chronological order. This is where growth is occurring. This is where I feel like he needs assistance. And when you say data points, like... What like what were you tracking, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. So the first thing I was concerned about was the language yeah. because I wasn't hearing any words. So I originally noticed that um, my son, even though we all have many intelligences through yeah. Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences, sure. I noticed that he was very kinesthetic and he was also very musical. So there were certain things that he would he would make sounds. And from the intonation of the sounds, I could kind of tell what he was saying because it sounded like me. I see. So what I would do, I would then start to pantomime to music, you know, lion, you know, and he would then regurgitate certain sounds. And so I was like, okay, so if I give him new information, he can, you know, absorb it and he can reproduce it, but I don't feel like it has meaning to him. Then the other thing I noticed was like receptive and expressive language. I was like, you know, if I ask him a question, you know, he knew that I was talking to him, but I could tell that he was not yet able to process what I was saying so that he could either follow the direction or he could communicate with me. Yeah. Then there were other physical things. So I'm really big when it comes to developmental milestones. So and the CDC has a great website that gives developmental milestones from birth to five years old. And I think every parent should have access to that. But if you look at developmental milestones, I would then track what was he able to do without assistance? What was he able to do with assistance and what was he not yet able to do? For example, um, two foot hop. So I first put him on top of a clothes basket and I turned the clothes basket upside down and I put him on top of the clothes basket and I said, well, jump, baby. He wouldn't jump. So then with assistance, he still wouldn't jump. So then I had an aerobic step because I was trying to lose weight at the time. So I had an aerobic <laughs> step and I put it up to like a medium length. So it was lower than the clothes basket. And I said, jump, baby. And he wouldn't jump by himself. But when he held my hand, he would step down one foot, then the other foot. So then I went and modified it a bit. And this is back when we had phone books. And I took a phone book and he stood on the phone book and I said, jump. And he went one foot, two, 
Interesting. And so with that, I then one first foot, second foot. So with that, I then those were the types of data points that I took to the pediatrician. I was like, this is what children typically do at this age. This is what my son is able to do. This is how children typically communicate at this age. This is what he's able to Got do it. currently. Yeah. And that's what I consider d- data points. So it's not, I think, I feel it sure. is. I yeah. have identified things. I've recorded it based on date and I'm actually um, comparing it to a benchmark. Yeah, not subjective. The CDC, very objective. Very objective. The CDC that. site that you that you mentioned, is that somewhat new? I've never heard of that No, before. no. Actually, wherever I train, I make sure that I let parents and service providers know about it. But if you go to mm-hmm. C, if you Google CDC.gov developmental milestones, it will come up. And it not only gives you the developmental milestones, it gives you developmental play. It gives you videos of what you can look at to see what typically what children are typically developing may look like at certain age. They start out with months, month one, month two, month three, all the way to month 18. And after that, they start to two, three, four, five. And it's, it also gives you things to look for, a checklist. So when you go to your pediatrician, that you can say, well, these are the things I've noticed. These are the things that I'm concerned about. So it's a complete guide for families, free, and it's on the cdc.gov. Um, and then I know you Google developmental milestones, it should come up. I'm not Got sure that's that yeah. website. Okay. And also it. it will send you, if you're a service provider, it will send you up to 30 free booklets that you can then hand out to your families. And then as a parent, there are print offs that are available and you can also receive free materials from cdc.gov. Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, that's Amazing. fantastic. Amazing. Um, so, uh, just an elephant in the room. We've we've just discovered that we're not we're not broadcasting live on Facebook at the moment. <laughs> For some reason, we uh, we we're, we're recording. So uh, okay. the great thing about that is that people are going to see this recording. But for some reason, we um, we were not able to get our Facebook connection connected. I'm not sure what what happened there. Sean, what would you like to do? do you, should we shall we just shall we just carry on and put the recording up on YouTube? You want to try to connect to. Um, you know what, if live? we can, we can, we can connect to it live. If we, we can do one of two, you know what, let's go ahead and try and connect to it live. It means that we'd have to like get out. I'll have to set a new link and we jump right back. No, no, in. no, no, no. You don't have to. Here it is. Unless uh, there it is. Sean, uh, Sean, just put it up here. I can go live right from here. We are okay. live now. I like that. That okay. was it. That was pretty simple. Yeah. Sean Hall in Hawaii. So so Dr. L, Sean Hall is our is our our producing partner who is in Hawaii and he just did all that. So Boom. there he is. He's he he's he he likes to stay in the green room as we like to call. So so welcome to all of our our Facebook uh, our Facebook folks. We're we're in uh, conversation with Dr. L Brown um, and talking about the uh, her child Ricky too, who she noticed when he was uh, early on that he was falling behind on some developmental milestones and that the story as we've just begun is that you took him to your pediatrician and he was like, ah, oh, he's good mom. You're just, you know, you're being a good mom and you're on top of it, but uh, he's fine. Don't worry about it. Exactly. Go <laughs> right. Go away. Tell us if you, if you will. Go ahead, Brian. Sorry. I was going to say you, because you're an educator and you mm-hmm. understand developmental milestones, you knew mm-hmm. not just as a mom, because I think as parents, we all know, Oh, there's, you know, something's going on with my child. I don't know exactly what it is or how to articulate it mm-hmm. because also your, your, your background, 
you knew that there were certain milestones that seemed to be missing here. And so you knew, mm -hmm. you knew that he was, uh, that there was something going on. I'm sorry, Sean, were you going to say, ask something in that? I was just going to say, is it, is it safe, safe to assume that he, your son goes by Ricky too, because he's a, Yes, he's Richard Junior, Franklin so Brown the second, and that's a big name for a little guy. So we started calling him Ricky T. <laughs> <laughs> but that's he's awesome. actually known as we call him SDYM in the social media world. He's mm -hmm. super duper young man. Love that SDYM. Love that. Mm -hmm. Love that's that. awesome. So keeping along with the chronology, so doctor says. You're doing a great job, mom, regardless of whatever milestones you think are being missed. Here's a sticker. You're like, something's not quite right. Um, and you've got him going through a couple um, tests and things of your own. Uh, mm -hmm. Take us from there and, and continue on, if you will. Okay. So at that point, after having my data points, I went back to my pediatrician and I said, well, based on what I'm seeing, I said, I'm going to try one thing first, you know. You have to pick and choose your battles sometimes. I said, well, we're going to start with speech because it's the most evident. So sure. I said, um, can you please give me a referral to a speech pathologist based on what I have here? If the speech pathologist then says that there is nothing there, I'll leave it alone for now. He gave me a recommendation for the speech pathologist. Speech pathologist also saw a delay in language acquisition. So from there, that then began my dance with service providers. Um, unfortunately, uh, my child had passed the three-year-old window. That's another reason why I like to get that CDC information out there to families, because you have a window mm -hmm. from birth to three years old to be identified so you can receive early right. intervention services. And early intervention, right. I, I write a love song to them because... Um, they actually are skilled in holding the hands of families. Whereas once you get to the point of a child being on an IEP, the focus is more on the child. Whereas mm -hmm. when you are on a family service plan, by the, by the title, it's a family service plan. So they're coming into the home. They're offering mm. you the help and service that you need. They're teaching moms and dads and family members the vocabulary that they may need to advocate for themselves. And I missed out on that opportunity because while I brought my son in at um, prior to three years old, we weren't receiving services officially um, until three. So therefore he was on an IEP and I would then take him to the school. So when I took him mm -hmm. to the school, there was one um, young lady who was a speech pathologist. And while she may not have been acting within her role to say the word autism, mm. I really appreciate that she did. Huh. Because mm. I was, I, you know, it was not something that I was looking for or considering because of the things that I'd seen on TV. And imagine this is this is 10 years ago, 10 plus years ago. Yeah. So the things, the images right. that I had seen of autism on the television were not indicative of what I was seeing in my son. But when she said the word aloud, she gave me a venue or a lane in which I could start to research. So I then went to my computer and I started to research everything that I could find about autism spectrum disorder. And then I started mm -hmm. noticing little nuances in my son's behavior like the echolalia, like the, um, right. the the stemming that he did. And mm. I started seeing this to service providers. That service provider, the um, speech pathologist, ended up retiring. So I got another person. 
And with mm -hmm. that particular individual, he was not hearing me. So one day I reached out to another mom who I worked with when I was in Japan. She had a son who was 11 years old. And while he did not have an autism diagnosis because it was nonspecific, he reminded me of what I thought my son might look like at 11. So I then reached out to her and said, um, I think Ricky too is like your son. What should I do? Mm. And she was like, find the nearest teaching hospital. And I was in California at the time. So I called Stanford University from a Macy's parking lot at the mall. And I said, my name is L Brown and I need somebody to put eyes on my baby. And they were really the first people that heard me. And, and you, you sought it, you sought this out because you still didn't have a formal diagnosis and just, I'm just reiterating. Yeah. And so you're like, so what happens when a, when a parent has a child, they, they suspect something is there. Mm -hmm. Their pediatrician says you're mm -hmm. nothing wrong. Somebody else suggests, but then you hear the word and then you're like, okay, now that I've have sort of maybe a general idea, how do I get a formal diagnosis of what mm -hmm. is actually happening with my child? Right. Cause I don't think most people know, right. If their pediatrician doesn't tell them where do you go? And so this is such a, such a powerful thing. What, you, what you've, what you're sharing here, you basically sought out a teaching or sought out this woman who said, go find a teaching hospital. Mm -hmm. I, I, what I, we had this conversation prior to today, so I, I'm aware of that. And it still just now hit me mm -hmm. how powerful that that was. You took that, you took that because again, I don't even know where people would 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 go well, if that's what they're trying to get a, a diagnosis. So this is amazing. I love the well, story. What I tell parents now that I know more um, information I wish I had known as a younger mother, bypass your pediatrician altogether. That is someone who is a general practitioner. Sure. Go directly to child find. Every state, every U.S. territory, every military installation abroad has a child find, an agency that works with families of children between birth and three, year old, three years old with potential developmental delays. At that point, you don't have to prove anything. You go in there. They're going to come into the home and they are going to take a look at your kiddo. Child. What is it? Child, child find. find. Yes. Child find. F -I -N -D. And it's just D. Yeah. F-I-N-D. Perfect. Okay. Never heard and, of that. Never. Early intervention. <laughs> but child find is all over. So find child find. Okay. Is it child find dot? Or do you well you know I don't have websites with me so if they google child yeah, find and child their find. state they'll it find come it. Up. yeah our early mm -hmm. intervention and their state and so as soon as you see anything you contact child find because one of the things that they're going to do they're going to pair you with an advocate they're going to okay. pair you with a home visitor they're going to pair you with an early interventionist that is someone who is not only skilled at working with the children but they're also skilled with working with parents and one of the things walking into a doctor's office can sometimes be intimidating, especially if you are uncertain mm -hmm. about what you are seeing. For, for sure. So if you right. have someone who comes in that is skilled in early event, intervention, skilled in working with family, skilled in family engagement, two things are going to happen there. One, they are going to acknowledge your concerns. And that's one of the biggest things with parents, you know, right. to have their concerns disregarded because then you start to question yourself and then you go right. away. Next thing you know, you come back three months later and your child's three months older 
Right. So you want someone who's going to immediately acknowledge your concerns. For they're sure. going to come in. Mm -hmm. They're going to identify what's going on, if there's anything going on. And then they're going to right. tell you the best next steps. And that's where you'll start hearing words like developmental pediatrician. And they'll say, well, perhaps you should consider visiting a developmental pediatrician. Or they may say, well, these are some strategies that we may want to work on here. But you want to ally a village member. Quickly. You know, it's, it, it's interesting because in my family, my mother was the one who noticed. My mm -hmm. mother was like, uh, I don't think. By the way, my daughter, Joe is is uh, is watching she's that's joe quinones there so she's that's yeah, she, she she gets a chance at joe's now 25 years old by the way and living in upstate new york and married and you know and and is a and is a special needs uh teacher at the moment so uh so so really amazing but she wasn't uh verbalizing early on and my mom's like you know she's not babbling and i thought no it's just my mom you know God, what we do like she's fine i was my first child so I'm like what do i know right and then we went to a neurologist we went to she said maybe it's just hearing so we went to a hearing center and they like well, her hearing's good maybe you want to check out a neurologist so people kept sort of making suggestions along the way i had never heard of child find and, and you're right while we were talking i just googled child find california and sure enough it's it popped a couple things popped up there i won't lead you yeah, wrong no no for sure and then the <laughs> neurologist was who gave us our diet our you know our diagnosis but but you know, in the you know in the beginning, especially as a parent and dads, we've talked about this all the time. Dads were like, "Ah, come on, the kid's fine. Come on, you know, it's good. she's going to be great." So, um, you as a parent, you, you do kind of know. We men tend to tend to, especially <laughs> dads that are, that are that are fathers to uh, to sons. Mm -hmm. I think that rate the bravado and the oh yeah, he'll you know he'll, he'll be, be fine. completely fine. Right, he's, and he's it's and, it, and it's such a crapshoot. I mean, in our case, we had a good experience with a um, our son's pediatrician. He said some of the things that he's exhibiting are symptoms of autism, but some of those things are also also <laughs> symptoms of a normal, healthy child. We're like, so what does that mean? What do we do? Well, you begin early intervention, and that is probably as good an experience as one can have because the, the pediatrician is not necessarily going to make the diagnosis. That's as good as it gets. We're the beneficiaries of a crapshoot in that case, because had it been maybe a different uh, doctor, a different disposition, you know, or, or maybe just depending on the, the day and the mood of the doctor, mm -hmm. you might get, well, you know, he, children de develop at a different rate. You just don't know what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. So for you to recommend that, that's why I'm so curious as to how long has child find been around? Because there's so many of our children that slip through the cracks and miss crucial time at early intervention. Um, I'm just astounded that that took place. And I consider myself to be someone who's conscious. I've known about child find since my son was five. Again, yeah. we missed the window. So it has, well, early intervention has been around forever, but yeah, um, right. child find itself, that would be some research that I think would be worth doing to see, you know, when did they start? How did the initiative begin? But it's an invaluable service. And when I, uh, my research is with mothers of young children with disabilities. And one of the things that I've noticed um, is the trajectory of receiving services and also the self-efficacy or the, the ability to feel like they can mother um, is greater mm -hmm. with those individuals who were fortunate enough to be paired with an early interventionist. Yeah. Wow. Now tell yes. us, tell us this, if you will, uh, at this point now where you're getting the services and sort of 
developing his um, his care, if you will, by way of osmosis and necessity. Where are you with regard to your um, career and your being an educator and everything at that point? Because th these things kind of intersect mm -hmm. and you do. put on a cape based on necessity, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. So what I did, um, I, was, I wasn't working at the time. I was a stay-at-home mom, but my teaching certificate was about to expire. So one of the ways to keep it current was to get college credits because I wasn't in the market for a job at the time. So I decided mm -hmm. to go back and get a master's degree in early childhood education. And this was prior to the diagnosis of autism because I was like, well, perhaps there's something that I'm not doing. Perhaps there's something that I need to do better. And I created this program, Kinder Jam, that was working with military families in California and other countries. And I was like, you know what? Let me go back to school so, one, I can make sure that I'm giving my son the best and I can also ensure that my program has integrity. And that was one of the things, that was the first shift that I took after being um, my son's mother because there was something that a, an evaluator told me when I was in Korea that I did not get until I became his mother. Um, I was Miss Hadley at the time, maiden name. And she evaluated me after teaching a lesson. And she said, you know, you are a good teacher and good teachers can teach a hundred things one way. I want you to strive to be a great teacher because great teachers can teach one thing 100 ways wow. so that every child has an opportunity to understand. And I didn't fully understand what that meant, even though it sounded nice. And I probably put it on a couple of documents as a philosophy, <laughs> but it wasn't until I became the mother of my own son. And I realized that if he didn't get it this way, I'm going to do it this way. And if he didn't get it this way, I'm going to do it this way. And That's I right. did that until the light in his eyes lit up and I could tell he understands. Got it. So my program, I wanted to make sure that I had multiple ways of reaching children. So I went mm -hmm. back to get a master's in early childhood education. So that was the first thing that I did differently because of my son. Um, the second thing that I did differently, um, I evolved as a woman. Um, because things had come pretty easily for me, especially when it comes to the procurement of new skills and knowledge, um, there were certain things that I took for granted. Whereas with my son, he opened up a pocket of empathy in me that I didn't know existed. So I became very sensitive to mm -hmm. individuals who have differences because mm -hmm. you know I'm so connected to this child so every step that he took, we were taking together. So I evolved as a woman. And that's how my mama bear persona emerged then. Love that. Right. right. And so you started, you started to describe that you were working with um, families in the, in, the, in the services. And you called it Kinder Jam. Was that what you called it at the time that you were putting it together? No, actually, I called it Ricky Two's time because... It was one of those things where I didn't know he had autism at the time. And so mm -hmm. what would happen is we would go through transition. So transition, we're moving from one activity to another. And I would notice that he would get really big emotions sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it was something that he didn't necessarily want to do because we might be transitioning to the park. And I know that he wants to go to the park, mm -hmm. but I could tell that his emotions were getting higher and higher and higher and that he was not yet able to control them. So that was self-regulatory skills. Mm -hmm. So what I developed with him was what I call reset time because I'm not a, I'm not a fan of time out. I believe time out is not for teachers, but for 
parents. And I believe it's more of a child abuse prevention strategy, something that we do to separate ourselves from a situation so that we don't make decisions that could be potentially detrimental to children. Well, because of my comfort in working with young children, I didn't need a time out. So we did a reset time when he had those big emotions. So I would place him on the floor um, by an armoire and between the armoire and the stairwell. And for whatever number of years he was, like when he was two, I gave him two minutes. And in those two minutes, he could just emote however he wanted to. And I okay. stayed there with him and I let him have those big feelings. And then when we got to the end of the two minutes, I would count one, two, three, all the way to 10. Then I would give him a hug. And then we would, you know, I would say, okay, now buddy, we're gonna move on to the next activity. Now, those are some of the things that I did as a parent when I was starting to build these strategies. So the work that I do now are these strategies all coming together because now from a reflective place, I'm like, oh, that's what I was doing. So a lot of this mm. happened when he was not yet diagnosed. So getting to the kinder jam part, I then said like, okay, what can I do to stop these big emotions before they happen? I'm noticing that they're happening during transition. So I decided that when we were doing that reset time, we were face to face. He was in completely engaged with me when he got to the point of calm. So I said, maybe if I get a chance to be engaged with him before he gets those big emotions, that something might happen. So I took some of the activities that I did to take to the pediatrician to get my data points. And I gave him 45 minutes of my time each day. And I called it Ricky Two's time. And it was my time to pour into his love bucket. So mm. one particular day, we were have, about to have a play date with some neighbors. And she came over with her three children. And I was on the phone with listening to Greg and Steve and some other music, Jack Hartman. And we were doing all these activities that we do at home on our living room that eventually morphed into Kinder Jam. And she was like, you are working so hard. You need to teach a class. And I just overcome a miscarriage and my ex-husband was in Iraq. So I couldn't try for another baby. I needed something to validate me because my my only I felt in my mind, my only job was to have my husband's babies. And I was not successful in that. So I was like, but I'm a good teacher. I'm good at that. So I went to the military installation. I said, you know, I have this thing that I do with my son. I want to do it with other moms. They were like, well, oh, the only thing that moms are looking for in-home childcare. And I was like, well, I'm a mom and I'm not looking for in-home childcare. And I know there's a right. lot of home community in my neighborhood. I think that if we create a class, they'll come. And the mm -hmm. army had just started an um, enrichment program and I became one of their first contractors. And they said, well, what's your program called? And I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> so I came up with the name Kinder Jam and I did two programs, an arts and craft class with book with a book reading and an arts and craft and then Kinder Jam. And the reason why Kinder Jam is the activity that took off because it was mobile. So mm. I was able to and the supplies weren't consumable. So I was able to mm. go to different schools, the children's museums, the libraries, the rec centers. And I was able to teach this class to parents and their little ones. Wow, that's fantastic. So yeah, amazing. Where is that? So what does that look like today? And since it, it, it is your profession, and I know how busy you are just from our communication with you leading up to this. So tell us a little bit about what Kinder Jam looks like today, what your day and career and life look like, in addition to that of your son. 
And, and I just want to put up on the Ooh. screen for those that are that are listening. It's a kinder, just like it sounds, kinderjam.com, K-I-N-D-E-R-J-A-M.com, kinderjam.com. Sorry, Dr. Al, go ahead. And- oh, sure. Well, one of the things that um, Kinder Jam actually morphed into something different. Um, it started out as a, a parent and me class on military installations, and we grew to service uh 16 states and 11 countries in military communities and state department communities. Mm -hmm. Then when I migrated to Virginia, um, I took a different approach to it. And I started to hire and train um, individuals to teach the program. And then we would go out and service daycares and rec centers and um, uh, army community service entities and such. Then from there, um, people started to hear me speak because now I was in a PhD program and I was doing guest lecturing and some other things. And they started to invite me to come in and do training. So now I actually spend the majority of my time building curriculum and training service providers. So I work with service providers in the areas of family engagement, particularly mm-hmm. with children, families of children with disabilities, as well as diversity, equity, inclusion. And so Kinder Jam now looks completely different because COVID came. And so we made all of our activities digital and we are rolling out an at-home service mm-hmm. that can work with parents so they can do Kinder Jam in the comfort of their own home. Um, with that, we prefer to go through agencies so that we can make sure that we're equitable in the individuals that we serve. So with that, Kinder Jam is seeking to partner with agencies that service families so we can get yeah. that assistance into their hands. Great, great. Now, and what is... Go ahead, Brian. I was just say, is Kinder Jam a a a session that's that's led by somebody, or as you just started to say, somebody at parents at home can implement the Kinder Jam for the first time curriculum. ever. Yeah. Parents can implement it at home because we at have home. a teacher, Miss Julie, who went to a studio and we did all of the lessons, and so now you can play them at home and you can use the material, and then we also now. What we understand, well, now what I understand and looking back from a reflective place, that it's not enough just to give parents Kinder Jam. They need to understand the science behind why do I do what I do? Why do we Mm. use the words that we use? Why is Mm. our wait time the way it is? So one Mm -hmm. of the things that we I now understand as an educator who has invested in early childhood and in family sciences, I understand now that if I'm to be an educator of great value, I need to be an educator that increases the capacity of families because regardless of how committed I am, I'm only there for a period of time. Time with me will expire. So the way I'm the gift that keeps on giving is by giving parents the tools, skills, and strategies that they can employ with not only the current child, but with subsequent children. Much like a therapist, just just like the idea when we have people come into our home for early intervention, even after we get the diagnosis and therapy is there. Therapy is is for the parent to be taught how Boom. to how to administer all that uh, to the child. So what are the age ranges um, for um, one, you know, for a, a child who would benefit from the services of Kinder Jam? Well, Kinder Jam is one to five years old. However, mm-hmm. with that parent engagement classes, we go up to adolescence, middle grades. And that's when we work with agencies to work on how to navigate parenting a child with disabilities. Because one mm-hmm. of the things that, um, because I have the experience of seeing the world through three lenses as it relates to this topic, one is a practitioner. 
I've been a teacher for many years. Um, I also, you know, teach teachers. So I've, I've seen education from so many different lenses. Then as a researcher, I take time to, you know, to do my due diligence to understand what exactly is going on with our children and with our families. But mm -hmm. third and most important is I'm a mom. So I have an intimate experience. So I'm able to see this from a very humane lens because I have walked the walks. And there's certain things that you only know and when you know. That right. is so, absolutely right. You got to live it to know it. Yeah. You got to live yeah. it to know it. So when working with families, now that mm -hmm. I've able, been able to live all of these different stages of development with my son, I was able to chronicle those experiences and I was able to then pull out the curriculum that I created for his life. So when we mm -hmm. got to seven years old, we moved into social and emotional largely because I wanted him to have a secure self-image. And then when we got to about 11 years old, we started mm -hmm. working heavily on life skills because I realized I'm not raising a child, but I'm raising an adult and I want him to be self-sufficient. So perfect. Boom. I, I, I want to touch you know, right on that. And the work that Brian and I do outside of the podcast is in financial services, building mm. a bridge between, um, um, you know, the life that one has versus the one that they want. And especially in the special needs community, that means not just the life that you want, but the life that you want your child to have when you exist only in memory. So with that mm -hmm. said, I'm going to ask this from a very selfish standpoint. Mm -hmm. What would the benefit be of Kinderjan? Because you talked about um, life skills at you know 11 and 12 and, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. My son is 15. He's in mm -hmm. his second year of high school on mm -hmm. paper, but the first one in reality because the first mm -hmm. his first year was uh, all virtual due to COVID. Mm -hmm. He's learning life skills in school. He actually has a kitchen in his classroom and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And right now at this phase, even though Brian and I have created this mission, I still feel like a parent outside of the mission, just mm -hmm. constantly, mm -hmm. sorry, constantly <laughs> thinking about what comes, mm -hmm. you know, what is that life going to look like when we're not here? So mm -hmm. uh, with that said, what would uh, parents of a 15 year old child, like in our case, be able to uh, apply from Kinder Jam as it relates to life skills and the increase of okay. independence? Well, that's the beauty of Kinder Jam. It grew with me. When Kinder Jam was started, I was the mom of a toddler. So everything mm -hmm. that we did, we focused on the things that toddlers need. So while we've kept the name, it's grown with me. So now that I am uh, the mother of a 15-year-old as well, mm -hmm. one of the things that I focus on when talking with families is roots and wings. So mm. we want to give our children roots that they know they have a secure place with us, but we also want to give them wings, wings. so that they have the confidence to explore other that. things. So one of the things that I started um, with Ricky too, I, I first gave him a debit card and I actually, you know, again, I am, I'm a bit of stream when it comes to certain things because <laughs> I made my son my absolute focus. So we moved into a very insular neighborhood. There's like a live, work, play environment that has sure. the housing dwellings up top and restaurants and stores beneath, because I believe that that would give him an opportunity to be independent. So with that, That's he's so able key. to go to Target and I would scaffold that. And scaffold means, you know, I would give him the support he needed and then 
slowly take it away mm -hmm. as he develops. So for instance, with life skills, I got him a debit card and first we would go into the store together with a list and we would go through the aisles and we would get the things that we needed and we would go through the motions of going through the, the teller. Mm -hmm. Then from there, I went to a place where he would go and I would FaceTime him. So he was going and he was walking through Target and I would be on his phone helping him navigate. Then we moved from there to pictures. So then his grocery list would be in pictures with the aisle numbers. And so at that point, I'm not on FaceTime with him, but he's mm -hmm. navigating Target with these pictures. So right. he then started using problem solving skills. Like Love he would that. then go to the associate when he couldn't find something or, you know, he would ask for assistance from another shopper if it was something that he needed. And he would successfully be able to procure all the items that he was sent to give. That's now our goal. At, boom. And mm -hmm. now he's at the point where I can simply give him a list and he can go to Target. He can get the list. There's a video that we did on YouTube when he told me something that I didn't know that he he's intimidated by the self checkout now. Uh -huh. And so mm. he said one day he decided because all the lines were so long, he decided to go to self checkout. And he said, even though he was a little afraid, he said, I did it, mom. So that. That, those are wings. So I look for, I curate experiences for my child. I leave nothing to chance. So if I want him to learn something, I believe that it is my job to teach him explicitly. And that goes back from when our children are young and we start learning about autism. And we know that with autism, sometimes the brain synapses don't connect as readily as it does for a neurotypical person. So yeah. with that, I see our children as little computers and we have to input that information. And then, you know, once we program them, they can then, you know, move forward and do. And then eventually they start connecting those synapses, what I call like index cards in the brain of all of these different things that we've taught them. Interesting. Fascinating. I love that idea. You know, guiding. I first saw roots and wings is, is such a beautiful concept in general, roots and wings. I, we all should utilize that right. with our children. Right? And mm -hmm. I say that Incredible. because it's very scary for parents because we don't, it's, it's mm. hard to let our children go into this big world made of people who sometimes don't treat us well as neurotypical people. Right. So with that, I have to stay prayerful so that I trust because if I don't trust, then I limit him. And so with that, the wings, the roots and wings are something I tell myself that I uh -huh. need to give him so that I know that I want to keep him close. I want to keep him in a bubble, but there is going to be a time when I will exist only in memory. And I need to know that I have given him opportunity to gain all of the skills that he needs to maximize his personal potential. For sure. Mm -hmm. um, Sean asked, um, how do people... Um, on your site, how, how do they purchase services with you or, or product or this is a business obviously. Sure. For you, so, so what currently our largest focus is on training and development. So I work largely with government agencies and schools to train their service providers. However, as you know, God would have it, my foot's 
my feet have been led to walk within my purpose. And I can do this now because my son is 15 and thriving. Um, I'm going to start working directly with parents. Oh I'm going to start working directly with families so that we can start at young. What are the fundamental things that we might need to have our children understand and know so they can be successful in that next developmental stage? And if I have a child who's between the ages of seven and 11, what might I need to be doing right now to ensure that my child is able to be successful at 15 and beyond? And if I have a child who's 11 to 15, what might I need to be doing right now to ensure that my child is able to adult, to enjoy emerging adulthood? So it's one of those things where I had to walk the walk. And it sure. was something mm -hmm. that the village told me I needed to do. Because, you know, some of the things, one of the things that Brian said, sometimes we take things for granted because we're doing them. We're, I was in it. I'm still yeah. in it. But I was right. in it, in it, in it. So my, I was living in triage mode for so many years. Like, what do I need to do now? What's the next step? What do I have to get done? And I chronicled my journey. And in these were all these nuggets that people had been following for years. And they were like, I followed you to know what to do with my child. You mm. need to put it in a book. You need mm. to put it in a class. And that's where right. we are now. I love so it. So right now, someone someone could go to Kinder Jam and purchase your your uh, services of the training curriculum. Then, so right now, someone can go to Kinder Jam and they can request me to bring a training through their agency or through their community organization. Um, mm -hmm. In the next probably about two months parents will be able to enroll directly but currently directly. Okay. i go through agencies and i'm usually now mm -hmm. since covid via zoom and the agency like new parent support may bring me in our exceptional family member program so generally the way the site is set up now that those are service providers who are going onto the site gotcha. to bring me into their agency but one of the things gotcha. that now i'm realizing that there are parents who are not connected to these organizations who right. want this information as well. Right. Definitely. Well, I, Definitely. I know speaking for him, I know Sean and, and, and Laura would, um, you know, love to have conversation with you as, as Elijah is now moving into that young adult, Boom. you know, even as our, as Definitely. our 15 year old too, who's neurotypical. And I'm like, mm, I could use some help here. So, like, so I'm supposed to navigate certain things. That is the beauty of Kinder Jam. <laughs> what I learned with um, the majority of my clients in Kinder Jam are neurotypical families. Interesting. Because the thing about it, what I've done to educate my own son works with all children because all children need explicit instruction. However, what motivated me was to find out what my child needed. And there are some parents who have now said, well, you know what? My kid could benefit from that as well. But Kinder Jam, the, one of the reasons why I don't talk about it a whole lot, because in my brain, Kinder Jam is my what? My why is that I wanted mm -hmm. to help my child maximize his personal potential. And that right. has changed. Right. You know, my what changed as he grew. Like he doesn't take Kinder Jam anymore. You know, so he outgrew it, but my why okay. stays consistent. Mm -hmm. It's funny as you were saying that and talking about how it, it's, it's benefit for a neurotypical child or otherwise, because I am from um, the U.S. Virgin Islands where our show was heard. I grew up in a in, in an environment that is, although 
predominantly black you know there's different cultures and i've mm -hmm. had friends and relationships of i'm as worldly as open as i think most people would come despite that there is nothing like my son's diagnosis of autism and not at the age of three but i mean within the last year since us doing this podcast mm -hmm. nothing like that diagnosis which has uh, that has reminded me that we are more alike than we are otherwise. And I've said that, I've been saying that for years, but since we started doing this show, we started, we came up with it. You know what we realized? There really is no such thing as special needs. Everyone, we usually close the show with this, but everyone needs the same thing. Everyone needs to know that they're seen, that they're heard, that they're, mm -hmm. that they're loved, that they matter. And so when you talk about all the things that are needed for children or loved ones, special needs, or the people that are caring for them, services, uh, financial awareness, knowing that you matter, having some sense of comfort and that people are going to treat you right. That is something that everybody needs. And just speaking of, of time moving faster than anticipated, um, I'm going to throw a question at you that we, we mm -hmm. usually um, will ask of our guests, our, 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 our ability, our, we, des we des desire each of us. And, and I think I speak for you as well. And most of the people that uh, we're blessed to have listened to us or watch us would like to leave the world in a better place than it was before. And our ability to do that is predicated upon our ability to change, mm -hmm. right? And so with that said, let me ask you this. If you can, think of just one thing that you, uh, a philosophy or a belief that you've held dear, that you sw have sworn by, that you now no longer feel the same way about. So something that I once believed and now I, oh, I would say. Like nature, believe strongly, would mm -hmm. die for almost. Yeah. Well, not sure about die for, yeah, but yeah, I did believe extreme. in strong. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said I, 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 almost, yeah. Strong faith, strong faith. It's the, the, I used to believe in nature versus nurture. Nurture. I used to believe that okay. there were certain things that you were born with, you know, you can a mm -hmm. uh, high aptitude for learning. And then I believe that they're loving home. So there are some people, they would have the argument of which is more important, nature versus nurture. Um, nurture and right. then in becoming my son's mother, I realized that I grew up with nature. I had an innate ability to procure information easily. But even with that, I only got so far because my exposure right. was limited and some of the secure bonds that I could have developed early on, I did not have an opportunity to develop. However, my son who is on the autism spectrum is far more gifted than I have ever been because he works with nature and nurture. So nurture. he has his natural abilities, but he also has a parent or parents who are curating learning experiences for him. So with that comes my strength-based perspective of now how I see the world, that we all have the ability to do. We just have to find the people who are willing to support us as we grow. So to find out where a child is today, and my job is just to take them to the very next step. And then when they get to that next step, just take them to the very next step. Whereas I used to think that some people just had it and some people 
didn't. Now I know mm -hmm. that we all mm -hmm. have it, but some of us are blessed to have people who have invested in us. And some of us didn't have people who invested in us. So with that, it gets to my overarching belief in life now as a mother, a professional and a researcher. I believe that all families deserve to win and every child deserves to be loved and cared for well. With that, I also believe that that is the reason why high quality training are needed for both parents and service providers, because some things just aren't innate. They want us to believe that you're supposed to know this and good parents or this, this and the other. But if people go to school for years and years and years to learn to be teachers, to learn to be practitioners, then I believe that parents should have the opportunity to procure some of those same skills so they can employ it in their homes. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Well, wow. we, I know, again, we come to this point every time in our podcast, we're like, oh, man, there's so many more things for us to talk about. Um, and we're wrapping, you know, and fine, we're wrapping our show before we're even like, we're just, just kind of getting into it, but this has been fascinating. And, um, and, and there's so many great, so many great nuggets, you know, I, I still, I, I love roots and wings. I, I'm going to use that now and everything that I do, because that's so, so powerful. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Thank you, Dr. L. It really was a, such a huge pleasure having you here today and share you sharing your story with our, our listeners, our viewers, and, um, and, and again, uh, on our YouTube channel. So, so for everybody else who, everybody who's seeing this after the fact, please go to kinderjam.com and, and take a look around and, and uh, see Dr. L I feel is going to be, uh, not only is she going to have a book coming out, probably we'll have several and you'll see her on speaking circuit. I know in no time. So, uh, so, so fascinating. Thank you. Thank you again for, for being with us today. It was absolutely amazing. Um, and, and as we sign off uh, at this show, I, one thing I say always now more than ever, empathy and love is something that we all need. If you're looking at an experience, if you look through it, uh, look at it through the, through, the through the glasses or the lenses, if you will, of, of empathy, um, know that families are all going through something and um, have, a, have, you know, ha have some care. And, uh, and if you look through the lens of love, as opposed to hate and divisiveness, you're also going to find the world is going to be a much better place. So empathy and love constantly. Um, thank you again, Sean, if you want to sign us off, this was a fantastic, what an amazing hour. I'm, I'm just, I'm so, I'm, I'm so blessed and blown away. And I'm thrilled. Last thing I'll say is that my daughter, Jordan, who is a, who is in the classroom, she actually said she's going to start implementing some of the things that you said in her classroom, um, that she got a chance to listen in and, uh, and, and catch you live. Cause I know that this is, you're going to, it's going to have ripple effects everywhere we go. Most Sean definitely. Francis, Yes, I want to thank uh, Dr. L. Brown. Um, we're so honored to have you here today. And we don't know in what capacity or how, but we are going to be working together soon. We know that much. <laughs> we know that much. Uh, sure I want to thank everyone, again, that may be listening um, or watch, watching live on Facebook, After the Fact on YouTube, or wherever you get podcasts, um, those in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And, of course, I want to thank... Um, the women in my life, um, my mom, Jan, and my amazing wife, Laura. I couldn't begin to even try to be who I hope to be without you. And again, if you're watching this, remember, there is no such thing as special needs. We all have the same need to be loved, heard, seen, and know that we matter. And just keep in mind that somebody someplace needs to know that you, in fact, love them. And with that said, as long as you're watching or listening, we love you, and we'll see you next time. See you guys next time. Dr. L, thank you again so much. It was so my amazing. absolute pleasure. Bye, everybody. Catch you next week.